When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Whether it's the legendary Lionesses, grassroots or expert analysis of the women's leagues, Women's Football News has it all covered. A brand new monthly magazine packed with news, interviews and expert opinion. Don't miss Women's Football News. Pick up a copy today from participating retailers. Women's Football is here to stay. And so are we. Hello everyone, Rob Guest from London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Hot Tottenham, sponsored by NordVPN. Joining me today, it's Alice the Gold. Ali, how are you? Yeah, kind of good. It's such a weird match we've got to talk about. It's, it's a match where there were so many good things to kind of talk about and enjoy. But ultimately, it's a third defeat in a row for Spurs. And it's just got this really kind of strange feeling of trying to explain it. Well, I kind of feel like probably how Celtic supporters felt two years ago early on in the Ange Postacoglu era, where they could see that the football was really good and improving, yet the results weren't great. We kind of had that start, didn't we, to life under Ange, and it was like, yeah, wow, top of the table. kind of thing. It was like amazing. And I think now we're in that period where the Celtic fans are like, we've got to stick with it because we can see where it's going, but obviously there's going to be hiccups, and you know, we're going to talk about the injuries, which are just ridiculous. But uh, yeah, it, it's a, just a really strange match to talk about because of the way it unfolded. But, you know, that gives us loads to talk about. And I should also say, for those watching on YouTube, we apologize for the very dark background uh, today. It, it's not one of kind of mourning the defeat. It is just purely because we had some technical issues with our normal background um, and it will hopefully return next week. So uh, apologies for the strange black background with like leaves and so it's a very autumnal one. Yeah, which isn't really in keeping with the time. I think we've got a duck in the top corner as well, aren't we? Uh, rather than the Spurs badge for a change. So, <laughs> right, let's get. We're going to roll with it. Yeah, yeah, we will. Right, let's talk about yesterday's game: a two-one defeat against Aston Villa. Uh, again, a number of positives to take, but it's a third defeat on the trot. We'll start with the team news because I mean, it's fair to say that caused. A bit of a surprise. Eyebrows were certainly raised at 1pm when uh, the team dropped. We expected some changes, especially after Ange had said that. There were doubts over Pat Matasar going into the game and he, in the end, wasn't in the match day squad. And that's starting at 11. I mean, just wow. <laughs> it was a team of four fullbacks. A very attack-minded midfield with uh, Dane Kulaseski dropping into his preferred number 10 role. Uh, four wingers, was it? It was four wingers and four fullbacks. Yeah, I mean, I didn't notice Brian Hill was in the team until like a couple of minutes. <laughs> He's not that after. Cool. Because <laughs> no, I was looking at the substitutes bench and there were two keepers and there was eight yeah. subs. There were one missing. Because you'd have thought in that situation, maybe bring a young lad on or bring Hugo back into the team, have three goalkeepers on the bench. But yeah, a very attack-minded team and there was plenty of talk in the press room. I think it was Charlie from The Athletic who mentioned there'd never been a 6-6 a draw in the Premier League and given how <laughs> both teams play extremely high lines, we were expecting goals in a really entertaining game and that's exactly what we got in the end. Yeah, it was... It was. It was just end-to-end chaos. Um, but the ridiculous thing is, Spurs could have been out of sight so early on in the game as well. And even, I was looking back at some of the quotes today from the um, the Villa uh, players and also Unai Emery, and all of them had a theme of pretty much like, we rode our luck a bit. You know, how we got to half-time kind of in a level was, was something else. And then obviously, you know, you can't take away from them that they... I don't know. I was going to say smash and grab. That always sounds really derogatory, but they were clinical. You know, they, they had a few counterattacks. Um, Vicario had to make a couple of saves. And ultimately, they put the ball in the net. And, 
you know, having kind of had to watch Spurs do that to teams over recent years, we can't exactly complain when it gets done to Spurs. But ultimately, it was a day of poor finishing, but really terrific attacking football. Um, And I kind of thought about this after I'd written my talking points, and I kind of wish I'd incorporate it a little bit. James Madison wasn't playing, but Spurs probably created more than they have in any game this season. They were that good. Um, And I think that's a massive nod towards Postacoglu football and the system that you can have a team that is missing. Let's be honest. If you look at it, it's 11 first-team players. If you want to make a team out of it, include Alfie Whiteman in goal as well. It's 11 players that are missing. I looked down the um, Spurs first-team squad page on the website, and it's just obscene. I don't think... I'm trying to remember if there's any... Obviously, we had the COVID time when loads of players were out. But I'm trying to think if purely with injuries and absences, whether we've had that many missing and one go um, from the Spurs squad. Um, I'm trying to think back to Lasagna Gate. Um, there would have been a fair few missing that day. But can you think of any off the top of your head? I can't, no. Uh, I think the thing is... At the moment, it's all come at once and to key players as well. Some huge, huge players missing from the starting 11. Uh, but the good thing is, yes, I mean, although they lost, they were still creating so many opportunities and goal. And it's probably some of the mm. best football we've seen under Ange Postacoglu so far. And I mean, it was right from the word go. As soon as the referee blew his whistle, there was that opening uh, for Matty Cash and then Tottenham straight up the other end two really good chances inside the first three minutes. Destiny, your doggy lifting the ball over the top and then Dane Kulisewski, you know, crashing the ball against the post. Uh, but now in terms of the injuries, I've just never seen anything like that, really. Not in recent years for Tottenham. No, after Benton Kerr went off, technically, within his entire squad, Postacoglu had 13 available outfield first-team players. 13 senior players <laughs> it's just it's just madness um and the squad yeah the lineup it did catch us by surprise uh we thought it, there was a potential that maybe he'd go for emerson but we kind of expected probably not um and i don't think any of us despite kind of advocating it in recent weeks didn't actually expect him to go with kudusevsky in the number 10 kind of role or it's technically number eight slash number 10 role um, but yeah, he did. And I think I was kind of, I saw this stat somewhere just before the game started that it's only the second time in the Premier League era that Spurs have named a starting 11 without any English players in it as well, which, you know, doesn't really mean too much. But I just thought that was quite interesting that, uh, you know, I suppose there were so many years when Harry Kane at least was always up front unless he had an ankle injury or something. Um, but yeah, I've got some of the stats from the game as well. I want to talk about so much to talk about in this game. There's there's the fact that there weren't even enough subs on the bench. Um, there's we, there's that. There's what happened in the game. But as I say, so that injury hit the squad. That was an eleven as well. That uh, sorry, midfield three. There wasn't even a midfield three that you would say was Spurs kind of top choice midfield three when they were flying under Postecoglou in the early games of the season. You know, there was no Madison, no Basuma, no Saar. Um, but yet, Spurs had 18 shots at goal, eight shots on target. Martinez was forced into six saves. They also hit the woodwork twice, had three sunny goals ruled out for offside. You've always got to put quote marks around goals now because technically they weren't goals. Um, and they also had... I'll watch this back. You and I, I don't think, saw this at the time, unless I'm being you know hugely unfair on you. Did you see what happened to Brian Hill? Uh the elbow in the face from yeah. Diego Carlos. Yeah, I, I didn't notice it at the time. Uh, no, we didn't get any replays of it at the time either, no, did we? No, all I saw from that was, I think, Brian Hill challenging Konza for the ball. Then it bounced and mm. hit someone on the arm. And then, yeah, he got a big whack in the face. I absolutely took him out. And he was not even going for the ball. He was just knew he was there. And that's this is the weird thing is I think we get so many benefits from being at a match in terms of the view, what you see, the things off the ball you see, but we do actually miss some things that people at home are getting info on. Like we weren't aware that the VAR had absolutely kind of was having major issues in that first half. It had had some kind of outage where apparently it wasn't working properly early on. 
Um, so I'm not entirely sure which things it came back for. I think someone suggested it came back in time to rule out the Watkins goal. Um, so I don't know whether it was involved with that moment because that was a moment where Spurs, they were calling for handball, weren't they? Because it technically hit a player hand, I think, as Martinez tried to grab it. Um, I think I think it was back in operation because the suggestion was that it was so intently looking at the handball they didn't even really look at the fact that perhaps Brian Hill was fouled in the in the um, in the build up to that, and you know that could have been a penalty. That could have technically been a red card. It was really dangerous play when you watch it back. And fair play to Brian Hill. You know we said about his size and not being the biggest, but my goodness, he shook that off absolutely. Um, yeah, crazy game. And I think that lineup was a result of Postacoglu being really unhappy about the Wolves game. I mean, you were there for the press conference on Friday. He spoke about that Wolves game, didn't he? And, and actually, despite seemingly being happy with the effort of the players, he wasn't happy with the actual performance at all, was he? Uh, I can't actually remember what he actually said <laughs> about that, to be honest. But no, I don't think he was. Uh, Sorry. Sorry to ask. Yeah, no, don't worry. He's fine. But yeah, I mean, we've seen Spurs playing some really, really good football uh, this season, but that just wasn't the case at Wolves. But it did appear like they were going to get away with it. And then they just lost the game in the final six minutes of stoppage time. But yeah, it was chalk and cheese, wasn't it, really, uh, when you're comparing the games. And certainly the midfield three at Wolves was very defensively minded. Uh, this one against Villa, this was just all-out attack. Um, I mean, that's what Tottenham fans want to see. And what I said to you after the game was, I think for Spurs at the moment, given all the injuries, attack really is the best form of defence because they've got it in themselves, you know, to create all these openings. The only issue is scoring them at the moment. They had a makeshift back line of four fullbacks yesterday, not a lot of height in there. But Villa didn't really trouble Spurs in the first half, basically just because the ball was in, in and around Aston Villa's box. So while they are, you know, big issues in terms of missing some key players, Spurs have more than enough quality to put teams to bed at the moment, but they're just not doing it. Absolutely. Because you said uh, attack is the best form of defence so many times yesterday, I used it as a tribute in my talking <laughs> points. It was it was my first subheading <laughs> was exactly that, in tribute to the uh, your uh, your view on that. And um, yeah, I I, I, sh- I, did, I shouldn't have asked you that. I didn't realise you wouldn't remember that, but I, I, um, I did actually listen to a recording of what he said uh, yesterday yesterday. Um, of what he said on Friday, but I had listened to it yesterday and, and Postco essentially said that that wasn't his way of football. He wasn't happy with the way they played it. It wasn't the kind of aggressive kind of confident style of fearless football that he wants. Um, and I think as a result of that, it's no shock that two senior players straight out of the team, Hoybier and Dyer on the bench, um, two of last year's leadership group as well, which is kind of says a lot about the changes in the team. I was thinking about those. I think you can understand Emerson in terms of that extra little bit of pace for the Villa counterattacks. I would say that I probably for the faults that many see in Dyer, I do think his passing range is better than Emerson's. I do think he would have the ability to use the ball, but perhaps that's kind of the point was that he just wanted the centre-backs to very quickly give the ball off to other players rather than actually trying anything fancy and diagonal balls and all of that sort of thing. Um, which was very much left more to the fullbacks, especially Porro. Porro played some beautiful balls over the top. And you saw him having a bit of a moan at um, Ben Davies, didn't you, at one point? And yeah, this was literally yeah. inside the first couple of minutes. I think pretty much after Villa had had that chance uh, when Matty Cash couldn't direct his header on goal and Davies had the ball, you know, just outside the box, but he was just a bit too slow in, you know, passing it uh, to his left to... Uh, Destiny of Doggy, and I think that happened a couple of times. And you can see Ange on the touchline wasn't happy at all. But yeah, Davis got that message through uh, perfectly clear. And then after that, no problem at all. As soon as he got the ball, he was, you know, just uh, passing it to his teammates. And yeah, I mean, that's what Ange wants. And if someone's not doing that, he will let them know. Yeah, absolutely. He, we hear him a lot from where we're sat, and 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 you know, and we're not right by the, the dugout like we used to be at White Hart Lane, but we still, you can hear him. I think that's why he's sometimes really hoarse after games as well because he shouts and then some. Um, 
Yeah, I was thinking back on kind of the, the back line. It's like, it was so makeshift. It's so difficult to kind of really have a massive moan about a back line of fullbacks. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, there's plenty of ways of looking at it. You could say that maybe Daesh still should have played in there, although I I actually think looking back at it in hindsight probably was the right decision with the high line, um, with the way that um, Villa were very much always going to play on that counter. Um, I know some people are very keen to see Alfie Dorrington thrown in there. Uh, you know, as someone is constantly pushing um, how good I think Alfie Dorrington is going to be, I still think that's a big ask to chuck him in there. Um, and I get this, the logic that people are saying that there's other clubs that have thrown players in there. But also what I will always say to people is that is, is even someone like myself that sees a fair few of the games um, that the youth teams will play and I'll watch them on Spurs play if I'm not there. Uh, it's such a different kind of football. And I think I probably would leave it to the manager knowing in training whether the player's ready to make that step into the team yet and whether it's the right moment. Um, and, and especially Postacoglu, he's a, a manager who will use young players. So it's not like he's someone that doesn't do that. Um, yeah, I don't know. And I, does, I do also uh, wonder how many people calling for players to be playing have actually seen them play as well. <laughs> That's always something I find quite funny, um, having seen it with so many players over the years. And don't get me wrong, I get overexcited about kind of young, talented players at Spurs as well. Um, so I think, yeah. I mean, there were some scary moments early on for that defence. We saw it. it was a few kind of early chances that they had. Like you said, the cash one. Um, oh, who had? I think you might have mentioned it earlier. Who had the... Uh, there was another header as well, wasn't there? Or an early shot? I think uh, two early... I can't remember that one. To be yeah, honest. there were two early Villa chances. I remember. And then, and then they obviously had the offside um, Watkins goal as well. So, yeah, they were under pressure. And I think the thing what we kept saying to each other was every set piece was scary because you don't have that height. You have, you know, naturally full four fullbacks. I'm trying to think if any of them are even six foot. I mean, Destiny's reasonably tall. Emerson's tall. Uh, Is Emerson tall? Tallish. Uh, tallish. I don't, don't know his actual height but yeah that was <laughs> i guess they're not towering center backs no, certainly not mickey van der ven uh no. and i mean that was evident in the goal what paus horace got i mean yes brilliant really really good header from him but too easy from a tottenham perspective but i think you've also got to give credit to douglas louise for that fantastic ball uh really really yeah. good set piece and yeah that, that was just such a shame uh really to concede you know what, seven, eight minutes into injury time at the end of the first half because then you, your team talk just changes, really. Uh, but Spurs, in all honesty, really should have been a couple of goals clear at that point. Absolutely. And this is the thing, just, just very kind of quickly wrapping up on the defence, it's like they can play as well as they want for most of the game. This was similar with Wolves, but if you just switch off for moments, that's that's what yeah. defending, unfortunately, is all about. Same as with at the other end of the pitch, it's about putting the ball in the net, despite whatever you do before that point. Um, with the defenders, I felt Ben Davies didn't, you know, wasn't close enough to Torres. He's kind of trying, I've watched it back, he's kind of pulling at his shirt, trying to impede him and stop him, but it's, it's not enough. And then the second goal, I would put it more on Emerson. I think Watkins just drifts too easily past Emerson. I know people want to throw Davies in there as well, uh, but I would say with Davies, it's behind him. You know, if, if you're running in between two defenders, for me, it's it should really be the defender who can see the player coming is probably the one at fault rather than the one who happens behind them. Um, oh, that's communication as well. Yeah. Go on, you're going to say? That was a great finish though from Ollie Watkins. Watching it back... Yeah. Last night, I didn't realise how quickly he took it. It was literally one touch and bang, straight into the bottom corner and nothing Vicario could do about that. Uh, I mean, good play from Tillmans and Watkins, but again, a bit all too easy from a Spurs perspective. Just need to be closed down. But yeah, credit to Watkins. Good finish. Yeah, it was It was too easy to carve Spurs apart in that moment as well. And and I guess the midfield was constantly changing as well as the game went on with Benton going off. But uh, yeah, I mean, let's go to the positives really after that. Um, I mean, let's start with Benton before he went off. What did you make of him in that early kind of, I guess, 27 minutes before he got the 
unfortunate tackle from a player that we seem to unfortunately know too well at the moment for bad tackles on Spurs players. Uh, fantastic. One of the best players on the pitch looked like the Rodrigo Benton Kerr, who we'd seen performing like that week in, week out prior to that ACL, ACL injury picked up at Leicester back in February. I think this was always a game we'd probably expect Benton Kerr to start, given the midfield issues and the fact that he got 86 minutes under his belt for Uruguay uh, in midweek, I think it was against Bolivia, that demonstrated that he was in a, a position to start. And yeah, uh, really, really good on the ball. Uh, caused Villa some real troubles. He's just such a classic player. Uh, he was at the heart of all of Tottenham's really good attacking play. And such a shame when he got that uh, injury. I mean, absolute shocking challenge from Matty Cash. Uh, ben yeah. just nips the ball uh, ahead of him and Cash is going in, you know, full whack and he's caught him. And yeah, real nasty one. But initially it looked like he was all right. He'd play on, but what, a minute or so later, went to ground and Tottenham players were seething about it. I think Giovanni Lacelso was the first one who went over and had a word with Cash. He had like his mouth covered so you couldn't see what he was saying. But he wasn't happy. Emerson came from defence to do likewise. Brian Hill came across to, you know, have his say as well. But John McGinn was, you know, keeping hold of him. I think he was just trying to calm things down. It's just such a shame for Benton, especially to have been out for nine months or so. And for this to happen in, what, fourth appearance since his comeback, his yeah. first first start for the club, yeah. For Tottenham and saw him walking through the mix zone after the game, walking a bit gingerly. So it's just a case now of, you know, waiting to discover the extent of the injury and hopefully it's not a serious one and that he's not on the sidelines for, you know, uh, a period of time because given the injuries Tottenham have at the moment, they can't really afford to lose another quality player, someone who think we all expected to, you know, step up and make things happen in midfield over the coming weeks, but we'll just have to wait and see whether that's the case or not. Was he wearing a moon boot? When he no, 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 no. But that might be a positive side. I don't know, it's difficult because I don't think Madison was either, was he? Um, so, yeah, you can't read too much into that. But, yeah, if people aren't, aren't aware what normally happens after a game is I go into the press conference and Guesty goes down to the mix zone to, to talk to all the players. So um, he gets to see those little things as they kind of walk out and, and who's hobbling and who's not and stuff like that. And you spoke to uh, Decky, didn't you? So we'll talk about Kuzeski in a little bit as well. Um, yeah, on Benton, it's, it's funny. It's all the uh, Spanish players came running. Um, and actually, yeah. Romero was on the bench as well, screaming, as wasn't he? Yeah, I was... <laughs> I was kind of in two minds when I saw that because with Romero, yeah, I love the fact that, of course, he's sticking up for his teammate and, and all of that. But there is a part of me that thinks, well, I don't think if anyone in that ground should be moaning about bad tackles, it's probably not Christian Romero. I'd, I would hope Christian Romero would be sitting down there writing a hundred times, writing his lines, you know, I must not let Tottenham Hotspur down. I must not let Tottenham Hotspur down. Because, you know, th these three defeats... He's played a big part in these three defeats by not actually being there for the team. He really has. You think of all of those games, had he been there in that centre of defence, not losing his head like he did against Chelsea, and I think they'd maybe even come away with a win in all of them. Yeah. I even go as far to say that. I think even the Chelsea game, had they, let's say, it's all weird, it's like the butterfly effect we don't really know what would have happened the rest of the game if he hadn't got sent off whether a doggy would have got sent off or not but even I think with 10 men with Romero in that team I think Spurs probably the way they were playing get at least a point against Chelsea I think they definitely the way they played at Wolves um, would have been different as well I think he influences the way they play going forward in the the aggressive style he has and I think yesterday yeah I don't think Villa get through um so yeah I know it's it's probably a bit, you know, it's over the top <laughs> saying that he shouldn't even be angry at Benteke, the challenge on him. But I just felt, uh, I do hope that he has reflected on this, uh, Romero, because it's such a brilliant start to the season. He really, really has let Spurs down. I think, you know, Basuma, you could argue to a degree as well with the two missed games that he's had. Um, the doggy's a little bit different because he's just a young guy that got over-enthusiastic, I think, in, in a couple of challenges. Um but yeah, Benteke was superb before that point. His 
pass over the top was glorious to Porro, which I just wish Porro had pulled the trigger and had a shot rather than passing it to Sonny. And even Postacoglu said afterwards, um, I think it was when I asked about Benzenkur, he said he'd everything Spurs had done well, the way they dominated the game was because of how good Benzenkur was and he was shaping the way they were playing. And yeah, I was in Matty Cash, my goodness. I actually thought, I thought the one on Matt Doherty uh, a couple of seasons ago was worse because it was higher. But what I would say is it was so late. There's no real intention that you're going to get the ball there. Um, and interesting, from what I understand, apparently the Villa players like surrounded him in the tunnel as he went down the tunnel at halftime just to make sure that no one went for him. I don't know whether Romero had charged into the <laughs> tunnel or not, but apparently that was what they did to, to get him out of there. And I don't think it was any shock that he didn't return for the second half because he was getting jeered by the entire stadium pretty much every time he touched the ball. It's just, uh, I do feel for Benzco. I hope it's nothing bad. Um, I don't like the fact that he couldn't play on because he's a bit of a warrior as well. So for him to do that doesn't sit particularly well with me. Postacoglu didn't know immediately after the game um, what it was all about, uh, as in how, how what the kind of impact was of the injury and, and how bad it was going to be. But, uh, yeah, I guess you've got Basuma coming back. But still, Spurs are so light on numbers. They can't afford to have a player of any anywhere near the quality of Benzacore being out for any set amount of time. No, uh, just fingers crossed on uh, Benzacore. Uh, another midfielder I think we need to talk about, Giovanni Lo Celso. Uh, we've been waiting quite a while to see Lo Celso in Andrew Postacoglu's Tottenham team. Uh the player himself has been desperate uh, to be playing a lot, especially after such a good pre-season. But as we've said on the past few podcasts, it's, it's just not been helped by James Madison's brilliant form and then also his own injury. So it was his first start since Nuno's last game, wasn't it? Um, yeah, Manchester it United, October 2021. Incredible. Yeah. I mean, he has spent 18 months away at Villarreal, a uh, really good loan spell there. But Postacoglu said in his press conference on Friday, I can't remember this, that he's, he, you know, he rates Lo Celso even before he'd come to Tottenham. He knows what Lo Celso is about, what he can offer. So I think he was probably always uh, a player he wanted to keep at the club. And just like Benteke, I mean, he was, you know, key to a lot of Spurs' really, really good football uh, in the first half. Some of his passing and movement was fantastic. He was involved in that one where Dan Kulaseski flicked it through to Brian Hill and he had the shot what tested Emmy Martinez and Lacelso. Uh, just good to see him get on the ball and just running at Villa and just showing what he can offer. And he certainly deserved his goal. Caught it really well. Did get a bit of a nick off uh, Diego Carlos, what took it past Martinez. But you could just see in his celebration what it meant to him because it's just yeah. been probably such a frustrating time for him. The club has just never really got going and it's mad that this is his fifth season at the club. It was four years ago now since he signed on loan. Yeah. And I can only really remember probably the first few months of 2020 when Jose Mourinho was manager, when we probably saw the best of La Celso. It's just never really happened for him, but maybe now it could on the ranch past the Coglo. Yeah, I remember that little period. He kind of earned his permanent yeah. deal with that. He was that good. It's mad when you think about it. When you kind of total up what his loan deal cost and the actual permanent fee, he's edging towards being like the record transfer Spurs. He's up there. And yet he has played so few games for Spurs. Like you say, this is his first start since 2021. More than two years ago. It was October, wasn't it? Um, I have felt sorry for him this season. I think he was kind of sold by Postacoglu on on probably being the the rotation option with Madison um, and forcing his way in there. And obviously, then for Madison, I think not even just when he got injured, but Madison we knew was carrying lots of knocks and issues. And even then, La Celsa wasn't coming on for him as games progressed. It was more Hoybier was coming on to, uh, like I guess, shore things up. And to be fair... You know, we praised Hoybier for doing exactly that. So I can't, I guess, moan too much about it. But I do feel with Lacelso, he's just been waiting for his chance. I do think, 
I know Postacoglu played it down a little bit, but I think the 70 minutes he got for Argentina in the week against Brazil was big for him. I think it got a lot of confidence in his fitness, in his legs and sharpness. He set up the um, the only goal of the game for Otamendi as well. And I think that gave him a little bit of confidence going into this match. And, you know, this is the role that he played to great effect for Argentina for quite a long period of time, being on the left of a midfield three. And I've always said this about Lo Celso, that the best kind of aspect of him is the fact that he's aggressive off the ball and on it while also being creative. And if you can get him doing that consistently, you've got a really good player there. People obviously have written him off because I do feel like he's had probably too many injury problems at Spurs. I think that's been a big issue for him. Um, even this season, you know, he made that start against Fulham, had to come off at half time with a problem. So it obviously still remains to be seen whether he can keep this up consistently. But I just thought he did so much good stuff for Spurs. He just kept the ball ticking over really quickly and moving it and little probing quick passes as well. Um, I might have his stats here somewhere. Uh, yeah, three key passes, 74 passes in all with a 91.9% success rate. Um Made four tackles, one interception, one dribble, two shots at goal. And, of course, one of those was that lovely kind of technique to hit that half volley. I know it got a deflection, but it was just the way he caught it was absolutely perfect. We've seen so many players do those and sky them into the back of the south stand or the north stand. Um, and he did it just superbly. And, um, yeah, Postacoglu praised him, said he did really well, very creative, always threatening and worked hard. Um, and he'll, I think he'll have a big part to play in these weeks ahead now, as long as he can stay fit. And I think, didn't Decky praise him as well after the game? Yeah, uh, he was full of praise uh, for him, said he played really well. And, you know, he thinks he's going to play a big part in the coming weeks. And I think he certainly deserves so after, you know, his performance yesterday. He just begs the question, why on earth wasn't he in the team against Wolves, especially when Madison was missing? But yeah. We've seen what Lacelso can offer. I think he made a real big impression on Tottenham fans and Ange Postacoglu yesterday. And yeah, I think he's got a key role to play now over the next month or so. Right. I was going to ask you very quickly. Do you think Postacoglu was annoyed with himself, as as annoyed with himself about the Wolves' team selection as he was the performance? Because he did go very safe and we were surprised by that, which is not his style. Yeah, I imagine so. Yeah, wasn't his style, especially playing free, you know, defensively minded midfielders. Spurs were just lacking someone who could link up midfield and attack and just that bit of creativity, what Lacelso could have offered. And yeah, I think he'll have uh, learned a few things probably from his team selection at Wolves. He, you, you know, he's he likes to play bold attacking football and that just wasn't the case at Wolves. So uh, given his football philosophy, he'll have been intent on changing that and I think that's exactly what we saw yesterday was an Ange Postacoglu football team Absolutely yeah and, and even the Kulusevsky decision that he obviously yeah. made uh, yesterday even he could have played at Wolves in that role Yeah definitely uh, before we get on to Decky as we're now halfway through the pod Ali you want to let everyone know about the benefits of using NordVPN of course, if you're not aware by now, you should be. The Golden Guest Talk Tottenham podcast is sponsored by NordVPN and you can use the service in a host of different ways to enhance your internet experience. NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world and that means there's no buffering, no lagging and you can stream your favourite shows from anywhere in the world without your bandwidth throttling. It's a service I've used for many, many years, long before they came on board as our podcast sponsor. I've used it in countries across the world different continents to be able to watch the things i would normally watch at home which for some unknown reason companies stop you watching as soon as you cross a border um and this way you can just set your device to being back home in england and or wherever you may be and and uh, watch whatever you want and also you know it's it's really good for certain security aspects as well if you use a public wi-fi and you don't want people trying to get into your phone it's very helpful in and certainly going a long way to locking down aspects of your device. And not only that, but the outlay on a NordVPN subscription is cheaper for you in the long run. And that's because you can purchase streaming services or bookings from other countries at a much cheaper rate. So, for example, you can book flights from other countries, and they might be cheaper by booking them from those countries. So it means you're paying out for Nord 
but you're saving money overall. There's a whole host of other benefits from signing up to NordVPN, so why not give it a go? You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash goldguest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN VPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. And also, on top of that, Nord are also playing their part in Movember, which, if you're not aware of, is the worldwide annual event that takes place in November and involves men growing moustaches to raise awareness for men's health issues like prostate and testicular cancer and mental health. The goal of Movember is to encourage men to talk more openly about their health and to raise funds for research and support programs. So during Movember, obviously we know there's only a couple of days left of this, but during Movember, new and recurring NordVPN customers in the UK will have a chance to contribute and donate £1, £5 or £10 to the charity, which Nord will match. So it's a chance to give to a great cause. Right, let's get back on to speaking about Tottenham and Dane Kulisewski, who, as you said, played in a bit of a deeper role in the number 10 role. It's, I think, the role he prefers. You spoke to him out in Israel last summer about his preferred position, and he did mention the number 10 role. It's something a few was maybe, you know, wanted to see him playing in that role because he has the qualities. I think his numbers, when he was coming through at Atalanta, Playing as a number 10 were absolutely incredible, but so far we've just seen him on the right wing for Andrew Postacoglu, but his versatility has got to come in really, really handy. And I'd probably say that's up there with Decky's best performances in the Tottenham shirt. Yeah, um, I always remember the game at the Etihad. He was superb yes. in that one. Um, it's, it's one of those, I thought he was brilliant. Um, yes, I thought he was so good. He was so creative. There were so many... It was one of those where I had just a couple of other players maybe being a little bit more clinical or in better positions. I mean, you think of the back hill to Brian Hill. Had Brian Hill uh, been able to beat Martinez with his shot? You think of the ball across the box that Brennan Johnson couldn't just couldn't quite get on the end of. Um, and obviously, Kudusevsky himself, you know, having that massive chance where he turned inside Carlos and then... Um, Wax it against the left hand post. He kind of did this really intricate, cold shot that probably all he had to do was just smash it into the net from that close range. Um, and he had another run at the end where he went from one end of the pitch to the other and he ended up hitting it at Martinez. But I think, in terms of the sheer effort and what he created on the day, that, yeah, I think that's up there with some of his best performances. And, and yeah, I did ask him in, um, it was pre season not this summer, but last year, about his favourite position. He said the number 10 role. And, I mean, you spoke to him after the game as well, didn't you? I mean, what was the expression he used about how he felt after that performance yesterday? Uh, in terms of his performance, he said basically he felt like, you know, Dane Kulosewski, like himself. Uh, the real Decky, wasn't that it? That was it, the real, the real Dayan. Uh, Dayan, yeah. Because... Did you say Dayan or Jayjan out of interest? I can't remember. Ah, <laughs> oh, no, because we always, we always say Dayan, but, you know, maybe I, he changed it. I've still got the recording. I can uh, have a listen back <laughs> to it. But, uh, yeah, I think when he initially came into the club, the levels he was produced was absolutely extraordinary. You know, scoring a lot of goals, assisting a lot. I think it might have been five goals, eight assists, something like that in about 17, 18 Premier League games. And since then, he's not really recaptured that form. Uh, his numbers for goals are certainly down. I still think he got about the same assists last season. But given how explosive he was when he first came to the club, I think everyone was expecting him like easy double figures in probably both goals and assists. And he's played well this season. Numbers maybe not the best, but you can put that down to poor finishing from others because he has been creating a lot of chances. And I think everything just seems to come together for him. Yesterday, uh, never stopped running all game. Yeah. Extremely creative you know, caused Villa a host of problems with, you know, his running and his footwork, trickery, etc. Uh, he was really, really good. Uh, he was really honest, as usual, uh, when he was speaking to us after the game. He says he was, you know, just angry because of the result. Uh, lost 2-1 and he's basically saying... The performance from Tottenham was unbelievable. At times, the football they played, especially in the first 30 minutes, but what they need to do is a 90-minute game. 
and he also mentioned that the only thing they need to improve on is the mentality because football-wise, everything's unbelievable at the moment. You know, they're buying into Andrew Postacoglu's football philosophy and creating all these chances, but they're just not taking them. They just need to be more clinical. And yeah, I think hopefully this is a sign of things to come uh, from Kuliseski because we've seen before he can be a big, big player that everyone's just wanted him, you know, to step up the level uh, a bit more. But yesterday against Villa, I'd certainly uh, rank that really highly in terms of the performances he's put in since he joined the club. Yeah, and I think the thing people forget is 23. <laughs> yeah. He's like, so young. I think because he absolutely set the Premier League on fire in those opening, like that second half of the season when he joined from Juventus, I think people just kind of expected like, oh, of course, that's what he's going to do all the time. What an amazing player. It's like, no, he's a young player. We, I think, to be fair, I think we did say that at the time. It's like, he's not going to be able to maintain this. He's going to have little kind of periods where he's not going to be able to do that. You know, there's so few young players out there in the world that are just consistently amazing. I mean, you know, Mbappe is probably the closest you're going to get to that because he just has been the most ridiculous player over the, over the years. But, yeah, I think... I think sometimes people are a bit too harsh on him. I think sometimes, yes, he needs to make slightly better decisions at the end of the runs that he makes. But on the whole, I think you take him out of the Tottenham team, I think it struggles without him. I don't think it's as creative. I mean, his numbers from yesterday, six dribbles, three key passes, one through ball, three shots at goal, 83.3% 83.3% success rate from his 24 passes. And he also added in one tackle and one interception. And like I said, that run he did towards the end, his fitness is incredible. He just, I don't know how, he, and he's also got the strength. I can't remember who the Villa player was. There was one Villa player. Was it Douglas Louise. He just knocked him to the crown, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He tried to fl- like fling himself into him, almost like a tactical foul. And he just bounced off him like he's a wall. Um, he is, like I say, 23 years old. He doesn't turn 24 for another, I think it's about six months or so. So Spurs have now, you know, they've got him permanently. He's going to be an incredible player, I think, as he reaches his peak, which probably is a good three or four years off. I think Postacoglu is a brilliant manager. He loves Kulusevsky. Kulusevsky loves Postacoglu. You can tell every everything he says about him. Um, you can you can tell how much he kind of respects him and how much he's learning from him. And I think he feels the belief from Postacoglu as well. I think he feels that trust from him um, and that he's he's kind of identifies exactly what Kodoseski brings off the ball as well as on it. Um, and yeah, I thought he was superb. I thought he did that dual role as a number eight and a number 10 really well. There was times when he was on the right of a three in the midfield. There was times when he would play just ahead of um, what ended up becoming Hoybier and Lacelso, and there are other times when, do you know what? I mean, you asked, you know, it was part of the interview you did in the mix zone with him. He was asked about replacing Madison. I actually felt that more so than Lacelso replacing Madison, I actually felt Kudusevsky did a lot of the Madison stuff. You know, a lot of the through balls, a lot of the clever little back heels and flicks, um, making the runs into the box himself. I actually think he probably did that more than Lacelso. Lacelso was probably more of a deeper. Uh, withdrawn role on the whole. Um, I just I've got a lot of time for Dejan Kulusevski or Dejan. We'll have to listen back to see exactly how he pronounces it. Um, and I just think some people are unnecessarily harsh on him. I sometimes see the odd Twitter comment, and it surprises me because I don't think some fans know exactly what they've got in him. He's got everything, and he's got this incredible work ethic as well. If he just needs, I think, things to go for him. I think he needs other players to be putting away his chances. And yeah, he needs to be that little bit kind of cuter with the finish himself at the end of some of his moves. But that was a big day for him. And I think it showed also for Postacoglu that that might be the way to go while Madison's out, is using Kudasevsky in that role. I I think it was uh, one massive positive from the game. Yep. Another positive, uh, I think Postacoglu can say, especially in an attacking sense, Brian Hill's performance yesterday, that's his... When you realised he was on the pitch, of course. <laughs> I knew he was on the pitch. It was just, like you said, <laughs> two minutes after the team news drops. I didn't see his name in there initially. Must have just glossed over it. Uh, but <laughs> No, fantastic. He was uh, really, really good. I think his last start was in January at Crystal Palace, away the final win. 
played really, really well that day. And you're thinking, here we go, we're going to see uh, Brian Hill get a bit of a run on the Conte. But no, sent out on loan again at the end of the January window. Uh, and it's, again, like for Lacelso, it's just been such a frustrating few months for Brian Hill, given the injury he's had, trying to work his way back to fitness. And, you know, get a place in Postacoglu's plans because he didn't play a single minute in pre-season, which was really unfortunate for him at a time when he was coming back to club looking to make a real impression. And what I would say yesterday is this selection of Brian Hill in the starting eleven. I think it's a huge show of faith in him because, you know, Ange could have taken the easy option and gone, right, Pierre Hoiberg in midfield, Dan Kulisewski, right wing, Brendan Johnson, left wing. But he didn't. He gave Brian Hill a chance. Uh, uh, the players clearly made an impression on Postacoglu uh, in training and really, really positive when he was on the ball running at, I think it was Matty Cash and Esri Konza down his right side, down Villa's right side. Yeah, a couple of, a couple of times uh, maybe picking the wrong ball, but is rusty at the end of the day. He's not played a lot of football this year, but what a ball he put in for Son. Uh, oh, whip ball right on his head. I don't know if Sonny pulled out of that one slightly or not. If it was I maybe... maybe think he didn't realise it was going to yeah, be that good a ball. Yeah. He just didn't fling himself at it. Maybe. Uh, put it on the plate for him. Unfortunately, Spurs couldn't take that opportunity but I thought Across his time on the pitch, he was just really, really positive. Uh, just some things he needs to work on. But I think it's one of these that he's still adapting to life in the Premier League because I know it sounds daft, but he's been here three seasons now. But we've barely seen him play because he's just never been... only 22. <laughs> yeah, because he's just never been given that opportunity uh, by Antonio Conte and probably very similar under Nuno uh, as well for the first couple of months when he was at the club. Uh, I mean, they rate him extremely highly in Spain. He's been in the Spanish nat- national squad before. He certainly got him in him. He just needs that opportunity and we'll have to wait and see whether he's in the team against Man City, but he's certainly done done himself no harm at all with a really, really good performance. Yeah, Postacoglu was happy with him afterwards. He said he handled himself well. I will always have the physical doubts about Brian Hill. Um, I just, I do think that's still an area that concerns me slightly when you put him in a lineup. And that's not to say that it's just because of his height or anything like that, because Luka Modric was one of the best players the Premier League seen, um, and obviously went on to, to even bigger things. But I think with Brian Hill, he's he is very slight. Whereas Luka Modric had these massive kind of legs as well. He was a very strong core to him. I don't think Brian Hill's got that. And so there were a couple of occasions. I mean, we did have a slight chuckle trying to watch him, kind of trying to get the ball off some of the Villa defenders. It was a little bit like, you know, adults playing with kids like in the park kind of thing and the kids trying to get the ball off them. It was a couple of moments. But that's not to do down just how talented he is with the ball. He's he's When he's in full flight dribbling the ball, it's very difficult to get the ball off him despite that kind of lesser stature um, or slighter stature. And he did have that big chance early on, should have put that away. Um, I know it was a tight angle, but I still think, you know, that was a big opportunity for him. Um, and he touched the ball a lot. I was looking at some of the stats, um, whereas I've got them here. Sonny only touched the ball 32 times on the day. Johnson, 39. Uh, both of them played the full 90 minutes, but in only 70 minutes, Brian Hill touched it 64 times. So that's exactly double the amount of time Sonny got the ball. You could argue that that's a failure in them not getting the ball to Sonny and Johnson, uh, Brennan Johnson. But also it does show that how much Brian Hill was involved in the play and how much they kept looking to get the ball to him. I think maybe his partnership with Destiny Doggy would have to be built upon. I don't think that was quite there. There were moments when they maybe could have linked up that little bit better. Um <sighs> Yeah, going back to what you said about the selection and maybe it being a, a kind of a big feather in his cap from Postacoglu, I would maybe argue that as soon as he'd made the decision to play Kulisevsky in the number 10-8 slash 8 role, it was probably only Brian Hill you could play unless he was going to make a big gamble, I guess, and put Jamie Donnelly in there, who 
I'm still wondering when he's going to get his first minutes. I do feel for him because, you know, he's doing everything he can at a youth level. Um, and even in the end of a game like that, maybe isn't getting chucked on. But I guess you could equally argue, why would you take off Son or Johnson, who are clearly Premier League performers that are capable of getting you a goal as well? But um, as for Brian Hill, I thought this was a good positive step. Um I wouldn't say I was blown away by him, but I do think he did far more positive things um, to kind of push his cause. And yeah, like you, I'm intrigued to see whether he starts against City because it's very dependent on, I guess, if Postacoglu wants to stick with the way he wants to play, then you probably only change Basuma comes in for um, Bentenker. Because um, there's no... Well, I guess it depends on Saar. Saar, quite interestingly, just to say now, Postacoglu in this press conference only spoke about getting Basuma back and uh, Romero back after the um, suspensions up against City. And he also, in his Spurs play interview, spoke about only getting those two players back pre-Christmas. From what I understand, he forgot about Saar. It's not that Saar is out until the new year as well. He just forgot about Saar. So we'll get, we'll see whether Saar's available to play against um, City or not within the next couple of days, obviously, when we have the presser. But yeah, yeah, I'm intrigued to see kind of what he does for that game. But we'll we'll, we'll talk about that more. I think we're going to do a second pod this, uh, this week talking about various things, talking about some of the players that have headed off from the club and what they're up to on their loans and also having a really good look at the City game and what's to come. But as for Brian Hill, yeah, step in the right direction is probably the best way to put it. Yeah, right. Before we discuss a couple more things on the Villa game, it doesn't get more exciting than Tottenham Hotspur this season. And the best way to soak up all the atmosphere is inside premium hospitality. Guaranteed seats to all home matches, indulge in unforgettable dining experiences at Spurs world-class stadium and enjoy exclusive member-only events outside match day two. Premium at Tottenham Hotspur is unmatched. Visit tottenhamhotspur.com forward slash premium to find out more. Uh, what I need to say as well about yesterday, the disallowed goals. I didn't realise there'd been so many disallowed goals over the past two home games. Nine in total now, five against Chelsea and four in the Villa game. Son had three disallowed against Villa. Uh, Watkins with the other one. Some of the football at at times, incredible. from Especially the one Son curled into uh, the far corner past Martinez. It was uh, Gil playing the one-two with Hoybjerg. Hoybjerg doing the same with Destiny and Hoybjerg then putting Son through. A lot of Spurs football, uh, it's just literally all-out attack. Uh, Porro putting a couple of good balls over the top and what we seem to see more often than not is Spurs getting in behind the defence and then just squaring it uh, for the player in the middle. And Yeah, it's, it's just a shame there's... A number of chances at the moment, uh, they just need to take them. And that's been, you could say, probably the story of the last game. And I know it's three defeats out of three, but in those games, Spurs have played, probably apart from the Wolves game, some really good football. And on another day, you know, could have come away with the victories. I know there are going to be times where they're not at the best, especially at Wolves, but they were six minutes away from winning there. So whilst it might all be doom and gloom at the moment, three defeats from three, I think there's still a lot of positives you can take. I just think they need to start being more clinical. Yeah, I think as Postacogli used that, it's the old cliche, but it's true. It's fine margins. That's exactly what it is. It's it's just in those moments, just either doing the right thing and not doing the wrong thing. It's we see it, it's, it's every football game. It is a massive cliche, but it is also a very true one. Actually, just on Porro, I just think Postacoglu must absolutely love the fact that he's got Pedro Porro. Because Pedro Porro is a Postacoglu player. And it, it's mad, isn't it? Before, we kind of weren't sure. We weren't sure whether he was going to fit as a natural fullback. And ironically, he's probably up there with the most Postacoglu players <laughs> that you can get in there. Um, I was looking at his stats as well. Four key passes... This is a right back. Four key passes, including that early one when he sent Destiny a doggy through and he poked the ball over the crossbar. Gets the assist for Lacelso's goal as his corner went all the way through to him. Um, he also had three shots at goal, hit the post, 
won two aerial duels, made one tackle, one interception, and he slung in 10 crosses and eight long balls with an 84.8% pass success rate. Um, I think Porro's been superb. Yeah, he'll have the odd defensive wobble. I think that's kind of the trade-off you have to have with a player that's so creative. But also on the other side, he's I think he's got six assists now in the Premier League since he came to Spurs, which only Trent Alexander-Arnold and Kieran Tripper, a Trippier have got more than. Uh, as defenders, um, I, I think I think he's been excellent. He really, really has. And actually, on on stats, I found some good team stats. I was going on the Premier League site and going through all the different filters they have. It was a really nerdy session that I had on there. <laughs> um, and when you think about it, you you kind of they've got no Madison um, up front. They've lost Richarlison, Solomon, Perisic. All of these options they've actually lost. But creativity still isn't really that much of an issue um, other than the Wolves game. Because I was looking at it, they've got, uh, they've had 210 shots at goal this season, Spurs, which only Liverpool with 225 and Man City with 214 have had more. So City have only had four more than Spurs all season. Villa actually are in fourth with 194. So you can see the drop. And Arsenal, obviously, we know at top of the table now, They've only had 189 shots at goal, which obviously shows how clinical they've been, I suppose, is the best way to look at that. On target, Spurs have had 77 shots on goal. Only City with 93 and Brighton have also got 77 are in that bracket. Um, And also, this is probably the key one as well, Spurs have missed 20 big chances so far this season. And I think that's where the problem lies. Um, And it's something that I don't know, and this might be something we talk about in the second pod this week, but whether the January transfer window is the is where they fix that, is, is whether they need to bring in another body up front as well that maybe is a bit of a finisher. It may be that, you know, Velis, who came on briefly at the end, maybe he gets a little run and shows what he can do. But um, yeah, I just thought that was interesting, just how many chances on goal Spurs have created, but also how many big chances they've wasted. I think that's probably where, where it all lies. And it's still an area that we know is, is still to be uh, improved upon. Um, Before we kind of uh, come towards the end of this, what did you think about the substitutes and the fact that there were two goalkeepers and only um, six outfield players on the bench? Uh, I mean, it is what it is. It'd have been nice to have uh, another one of the academy lads on the bench just to give him that opportunity in the first-team environment. But... Obviously, Ange Postacoglu decided against that. We've seen it before when a number of teams have had two goalkeepers on the bench. Everton, it just seems to be like every week, the other season. Uh, and I'm sure they someone, filled the rest of the bench, haven't they? Not all the time. Sometimes it might oh, have really? been a, yeah, just because of maybe injuries and that. But I'm sure someone said yesterday in the press room, Newcastle had three goalkeepers on the bench, did they? Against Chelsea, well, I guess they could have had Hugo Lloris yesterday but, as well. Yeah, that, shoved him on. that's what I did say earlier in the pod. Could have just given Hugo that opportunity again yeah, in the match day squad. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it is what it is, isn't it? With injuries uh, at the moment, you always is felt it a message to the board. Maybe I think it certainly would have been if Antonio was manager, because <laughs> you just knew what he was like with the starting eleven and the subs that was clearly a message but I think it's clear to see anyway you know Spurs maybe don't have the strength and depth that others do and especially in defence you knew there was going to be one point when someone was going to either be injured or sus- suspended and it just, it just came at once uh, like Ange said in his presser on Friday it's not been staggered it's just literally all come at once so yeah, uh, hopefully it'll be nine on the bench on Sunday at Man City. But if not, I'll take my football boots in case. <laughs> <laughs> that would be entertaining. What a brilliant podcast that would be. Yeah, yeah. My player ratings would be savage, though. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's funny you should mention Antonio Conte because he did do that before. I remember that. And he made the excuse that he couldn't use under-21 players because they had a game and he didn't want to disrupt their preparations, which is somewhat ironic because he was always disrupting the under-21s <laughs> um, preparations with, with his training sessions. But 
funny enough, Postal Cogley couldn't really use that because the under-21s didn't have any game this weekend at all. They had a, a free kind of fortnight since the international break. And from what I understand, there were a handful of under-21s that trained with the first team ahead of the game as well. Um, and like right up to before the game. And I think it was, it was well, we know it was only Donnelly and Dorrington that made the bench from that handful of under-21 players. So, do you know what? I think it was a bit of a message. I think it was. Otherwise, you just put one of them on the bench for the experience. Um, just just to because it could benefit them down the line having already been through that experience before um, I think he's saying look if you're not aware we have an entire team of injured players and not only that but a, quite a few of them are not going to be back when the January transfer window even opens so you know you're going to have to bring in players to fill these gaps and not least the centre-back position that should have been fixed in the summer with another player anyway Um I just think it's one of those. I think we've seen it so many times with so many managers do it. It's like a little, little kind of game, as if to say, "Look at woe is me. Look what I've got uh, to, at my disposal." I and mean, to be fair to Postecoglou, he has got so few options. Um, he is pretty much putting out a team of the players he has available. Um, whereas, you know, it's. I think we've seen it with other managers. I think Mourinho had a pretty bad injury. Actually, that reminds me. I think there was a point towards the end of Mourinho's first season, maybe it was, when he was really struggling to get numbers out there. Do you remember when they played at Stamford Bridge and didn't he have Delhi up front or Berg... No, sorry, Bergvine up front, wasn't it? With oh, it, was, it was a right mishmash of a team. It was essentially who he had fit on the day. Um, so, yeah, maybe he's had that issue before. But, yeah, it, it needs to be... It's one of those. I don't want to go overboard and say, oh, Spurs squad is incredibly weak. Look at it. Because I'm sorry, but if you take 11 players out of any squad, 11 senior first team players out of it, they're going to look like they've got a really weak squad. Um, but I do think it was paper thin in a couple of places. And one of those was centre-back and one of those was a creative midfielder. And I think that's where we're seeing the issues now and having to, to struggle for options. Um, but as we always say, opportunities come out of situations like this and it may be that the Celso shines now um it may be that a youngster like uh Jamie Donnelly or Valise or even Dorrington gets to have an opportunity in the weeks ahead um and yeah it's be interesting I think I don't think Richarlison will be that much longer either I think he said that would be only a couple of weeks after international break so you might see him back soon um but yeah it's like I said right at the top of this. I do feel like that we're in a period right now where the football's really good, and I can't believe that anyone that went to the stadium um, yesterday came away thinking, "Oh, that was awful. I hated that." You know, I think they would have seen the positives and seen the football. And actually, there was a nice um, line from Kulusevski in your interview with him, which I nabbed, uh, which I can read out to you. And he said about the fans. Um, because I've noticed this last year there would have been boos at half time there would have been boos at full time right now they're not booing at all they absolutely understand um, and even after I think again it wasn't as big as after the Chelsea game but after Villa's second goal there was a real kind of like roar in the stadium to get the team going again rather than kind of people being really like disconsolate and the Kulusevsky quote about the fans, he said, I really hope they stay with us. I hope because we will win in the future if we continue like this. It's important we stay together. Everybody in this club and outside is not important what anybody else says. I think inside, everybody needs to have a positive energy and help us players because we will bring them happiness. And it feels like that. The Postacoglu way, it does feel like the right way. I know there's people are going to say, oh, it's naive, it's gung-ho. I don't actually think it is when it's in full flight because ultimately the ball is sticking up the other end of the pitch it's not really coming back even to what it's not even like the games are going to be 6-4 and stuff like that because the ball is going to spend so little time in the Spurs box yesterday they put two or three of those shots away in the first half I don't think Villa even come near to coming back in, into that game and I think that's the way they're going to play when they're back to full strength it's just this process of not only building a team building a style of play doing it while he's being kind of handicapped massively by the lack of players that he's got at his disposal. And I think that's something that should be cheered yesterday. He took a team of 11 players that was very much a makeshift patchwork team and got them playing probably the best football of the season and playing pure Postacoglu football. 
it, it's really weird because the result colors the way that we look at it when actually probably that was the most positive thing about it all. Well, I've got a quote from his press conference that I was just going to read out. It was, there were plenty of excuses for us not to be dominant today against a very good and settled Villa side. Thought some of our football was as good as we've played all year. You know, three defeats on the bounce doesn't look good, but those results could have been different. Spurs are playing some really, really good football at the moment. And, you know, if they take those opportunities, we could be talking about another three wins. Spurs top of the league. It's not happened at the moment. I think there's going to come a game at some point where everything just clicks and someone's going to get absolutely battered against Spurs. Because they're creating so much. They really are. Just need to take those chances. I agree. I just, I do have my fears about next weekend. I do think it's just come at the wrong time for them. I think it's so unfortunate. If if it had come, you know, end of January maybe, or even early in the season, I think we'd see a different game. I just think the way Spurs are at right now, it's going to be very difficult against a team of City's quality. But I just hope that people kind of see it as, it's almost like a bit of a free hit for me. And I think if you can get past that, then looking at the fixtures that come up after that, I think Spurs could start building some momentum again. I'm quite kind of looking forward to the the kind of the games that run into the new year. There's some tough ones in there, but I actually think if they play the way they played yesterday and be more clinical, I think you'll see them go on a bit of a charge. Yeah, right. We'll be back later in the week uh, to discuss the upcoming game against Man City and also plenty of other stuff in the world of Tottenham Hotspur as ever. Just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news. So grab a huge discount off your NordVPN plan. Go to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest. You can receive an extra four months for free. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. The link is in the episode description box. Whether it's the legendary Lionesses, grassroots or expert analysis of the women's leagues, Women's Football News has it all covered. A brand new monthly magazine packed with news, interviews and expert opinion. Don't miss Women's Football News. Pick up a copy today from participating retailers. Women's Football is here to stay. And so are we.